Welcome to The Vanishing of Valerie, a gripping true crime podcast that will take you on a journey to unravel the mysterious disappearance of a young woman named Valerie. I'm John Stevens. And I'm Sarah Williams. Over the course of 10 episodes, we will delve into the intricate details of this chilling case, examining evidence, interviewing key players, and exploring every possible angle to bring you closer to the truth. But before we dive in, we want to give you a brief overview of the case. On August 18, 2022, 24-year-old Valerie Mitchell disappeared from her small town of Ashwood, Illinois. She was last seen leaving her apartment in the early hours of the morning and no trace of her has been found since. We'll be breaking down the first episode into five blocks. In this first block, we'll introduce you to Valerie, discuss her background, and lay the groundwork for our investigation. We'll also introduce our three guests, who will provide their expert insights and perspectives throughout the season. To help us understand who Valerie was, let's start by talking to her best friend, Susan Walker. Susan, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I hope that by sharing Valerie's story, we can help bring her home. Susan, can you tell us about your friendship with Valerie and what kind of person she was? Valerie and I have been best friends since high school. She was kind, funny, and incredibly intelligent. She was studying to become a nurse and was always eager to help others. Valerie was the kind of person who would light up a room when she entered it. What was Valerie's life like leading up to her disappearance? Honestly, everything seemed normal. She was happy and excited about starting her new job at the local hospital. We spent a lot of time together, and she never mentioned anything unusual or concerning. Thank you for sharing that, Susan. Now, let's bring in our next guest, Detective Mark Thompson, who led the investigation into Valerie's disappearance. Detective Thompson, what were the initial steps taken in this case? When we received the missing person report, we immediately began conducting interviews with Valerie's friends, family, and coworkers. We also searched her apartment in the surrounding area, but unfortunately, no concrete leads emerged. As the investigation progressed, what other avenues did you explore? We expanded our search efforts, brought in K-9 units, and sought assistance from neighboring law enforcement agencies. We even enlisted the help of a forensic psychologist, Dr. Emily Foster, who's also here with us today. Dr. Foster, as a forensic psychologist, how do you approach a case like Valerie's disappearance? In cases like this, my role is to provide insight into the potential thought processes and motivations of the person responsible for the disappearance. I work closely with investigators to identify possible suspects and develop a profile that may help narrow down the search. In Valerie's case, we began by looking at her relationships, her routines, and any recent changes in her life that might point to a motive. Throughout this season, we'll delve deeper into the various aspects of the investigation, including the search for physical evidence, interviews with potential witnesses, and the psychological analysis provided by Dr. Foster. As we try to piece together the puzzle of Valerie's disappearance, we'll explore all possible theories, from the plausible to the seemingly far-fetched. Our goal is not only to uncover the truth but to spark a conversation that will keep the search for Valerie alive. This first block has introduced you to Valerie, her background, and our three expert guests who will help us navigate the complexities of this case. As we continue, we'll take you along for the ride as we attempt to unravel the mystery of the vanishing of Valerie. Stay tuned for the next block, where we'll dive into the timeline of Valerie's disappearance and discuss the crucial hours leading up to her vanishing. We'll also explore any potential sightings and the community's response to the case. Thank you for joining us on this journey. Together, we hope to bring Valerie's story to light and provide her loved ones with the answers they so desperately seek. Welcome back to The Vanishing of Valerie. In this second block of our first episode, we'll dive into the timeline of Valerie's disappearance, discussing the crucial hours leading up to her vanishing. 
We'll also explore potential sightings and the community's response to the case. To build a clear timeline, let's start with the night before Valerie disappeared. Susan, can you tell us about your last interaction with her? Of course, Valerie and I had dinner at a local restaurant that evening. We spent a few hours catching up and talking about our plans for the upcoming weekend. We parted ways around 10 p.m., and she seemed completely fine. I had no idea that would be the last time I'd see her. Detective Thompson, when was Valerie officially reported missing? Valerie was reported missing by her roommate, Lisa, on August 19th, around 6 p.m. Lisa had returned from a weekend trip and noticed that Valerie's car was still in the parking lot, but she wasn't in the apartment. At first, Lisa thought Valerie might be working a double shift at the hospital, but when she called the hospital, they informed her that Valerie hadn't shown up for her shift that day. After the missing person report was filed, what were the first steps taken by the police? We started by securing Valerie's apartment and collecting any potential evidence. Her car was also processed for fingerprints and DNA. We then began interviewing friends, family, co-workers, and neighbors to gather more information on her whereabouts and state of mind leading up to her disappearance. Dr. Foster, in cases like Valerie's, how critical is it to act quickly? Time is of the essence in any missing person case. The first 48 hours are the most crucial, as they offer the best chance to locate the individual before leads go cold. In Valerie's case, the fact that she wasn't reported missing until more than 24 hours after she was last seen posed a significant challenge for investigators. As the investigation unfolded, were there any potential sightings of Valerie? Yes, there were a few reported sightings in the days following her disappearance. One witness claimed to have seen Valerie at a gas station about 20 miles from Ashwood. Another reported seeing someone matching her description at a rest stop along the interstate. However, after reviewing surveillance footage and following up on these leads, none of them could be definitively confirmed as Valerie. How did the community of Ashwood respond to Valerie's disappearance? The community was devastated. Valerie was well-known and loved by many. People came together to organize search parties, distribute flyers, and spread awareness through social media. It was truly inspiring to see the outpouring of support, but it also made it all the more heartbreaking that we couldn't find her. As we continue to explore the timeline of Valerie's disappearance, we'll delve deeper into the investigation and discuss the various leads that emerged. We'll also examine the challenges and frustrations faced by those searching for answers. Welcome back to The Vanishing of Valerie. In this third block of our first episode, we will focus on the investigation itself, discussing the various leads that emerged, and examining the challenges and frustrations faced by those searching for answers. Detective Thompson, can you walk us through the initial leads that came up during the investigation and how they were pursued? Certainly. Early in the investigation, we discovered that Valerie's cell phone was last pinged near a wooded area about 10 miles from her apartment. We organized search parties and combed through the area, but unfortunately, we didn't find any trace of her. We also received several tips from the public, but many of them led to dead ends. What about her personal life? Were there any signs of trouble, such as issues with relationships or work? We looked into her relationships, but there was no indication of any problems or conflicts. Valerie had recently ended a long-term relationship, but it appeared to be amicable, and her ex-boyfriend was cooperative during the investigation. We also spoke with her co-workers and supervisors at the hospital, and they all had positive things to say about her. Dr. Foster, how do you handle cases where there seems to be a lack of concrete leads or a discernible motive? It can be incredibly challenging. We often look for patterns or behaviors that could point to a potential motive. But in Valerie's case, there were no apparent red flags. We had to consider the possibility that her disappearance was a random act or even an opportunistic crime. 
Susan, how has the lack of answers and progress in the investigation affected you and Valerie's other loved ones? It's been incredibly difficult. We all want answers and closure, but the uncertainty just lingers. We've tried to remain hopeful. But as time goes on, it becomes harder and harder to stay positive. Detective Thompson, can you share some of the challenges faced by your team during the investigation? The biggest challenge was the lack of concrete evidence or leads. It was like Valerie vanished without a trace, which made it difficult to piece together a clear picture of what might have happened. We also faced issues with limited resources and the need to prioritize other cases as time went on. As we move forward in this podcast, we will delve deeper into the various aspects of the investigation, discussing the potential suspects, theories, and the psychological profiles that emerged. We'll also explore how the case impacted the community and the lives of those who knew Valerie. Welcome back to The Vanishing of Valerie. In this fourth block of our first episode, we will explore potential suspects, the various theories that emerged during the investigation, and the psychological profiles that were developed in the search for answers. Detective Thompson, were there any persons of interest or potential suspects identified during the investigation? At various points, we had a few persons of interest, including Valerie's ex-boyfriend, a co-worker, and a few individuals with criminal records who lived nearby. We conducted thorough background checks and interviews, but none of these leads resulted in any substantial evidence linking them to Valerie's disappearance. Dr. Foster, can you explain the process of developing psychological profiles for potential suspects and how they can help investigators? Psychological profiling involves analyzing the behavior, patterns, and motives of potential suspects to determine their likelihood of being involved in a particular crime. In Valerie's case, we focused on individuals who may have had a motive, such as jealousy, revenge, or obsession, by identifying common traits and behaviors among potential suspects. We aim to narrow down the pool and provide guidance for the investigators. What were some of the theories that emerged during the investigation, both plausible and far-fetched? Some of the more plausible theories included the possibility of Valerie being abducted by a stranger, falling victim to an opportunistic crime, or even leaving voluntarily to start a new life. More far-fetched theories ranged from her being involved in a secret government conspiracy to her being abducted by a cult. Susan, were there any theories that you found particularly compelling or that you believe may hold some truth? It's difficult to say. In my heart, I can't imagine Valerie leaving voluntarily without telling anyone. I've always felt that she must have encountered someone dangerous or been in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's hard to accept the more outlandish theories, but when there are so few answers, it's difficult to completely dismiss anything. As we explore these theories and suspects in greater detail throughout the season, we hope to provide a comprehensive understanding of the challenges faced by investigators and the ongoing search for answers. We'll also discuss the impact of media coverage on the case and how it may have shaped public perception and the investigation itself. Welcome back to The Vanishing of Valerie. In this fifth and final block of our first episode, which will be more in-depth, we will discuss the impact of media coverage on the case, how it has shaped public perception, and the investigation itself. We will also reflect on the emotional toll of Valerie's disappearance on her loved ones and the community and explore some of the broader issues surrounding missing person cases. At Detective Thompson, let's start by discussing how media coverage has affected the investigation. Can you give us some specific examples of how media attention has been both helpful and challenging? Absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, media coverage has been a double-edged sword. On the helpful side, it has been instrumental in raising awareness about Valerie's disappearance. We received numerous tips and leads from people who had seen her story on the news or shared on social media. 
The increased visibility of the case also led to more resources being allocated to the investigation, which allowed us to follow up on more leads and conduct more extensive searches. However, there have also been challenges associated with the media attention. One major issue has been the spread of misinformation. In the early days of the investigation, several news outlets reported on an alleged sighting of Valerie that turned out to be false. This led to a lot of confusion and wasted resources as we had to track down and verify the accuracy of these reports. Additionally, some of the more sensationalized theories that have been propagated by the media have made it difficult for us to stay focused on the facts and maintain a clear direction in the investigation. Dr. Foster, can you elaborate on the impact that media coverage can have on the public's perception of a case like Valerie's? What are some of the potential consequences of sensationalism in missing person cases? Sensationalism in media coverage can create a distorted view of the case, often focusing on more dramatic or shocking elements rather than the facts. This can lead to the public forming opinions and drawing conclusions based on incomplete or inaccurate information, which can then influence their willingness to come forward with tips or leads. In some cases, sensationalism can even contribute to a sort of trial by media, where potential suspects are prematurely judged and condemned in the court of public opinion, which can have serious consequences for the investigation and the individuals involved. Moreover, sensationalist media coverage can generate fear and panic in the community. People may become overly suspicious of their neighbors, or they might become overly cautious about their own safety. While it's important for people to be aware of potential dangers and take precautions, it's also crucial to maintain a balanced perspective and not let fear dominate our lives. Susan, could you share your perspective on the way Valerie's disappearance has been portrayed in the media? How has it affected you personally, and how do you think it has influenced the public's perception of the case? As I mentioned before, the media coverage has been a mixed bag. On one hand, I'm grateful for the attention it has brought to her case, as it has helped keep the search for Valerie alive and generated valuable leads. On the other hand, it's been incredibly difficult to see her story sensationalized or turned into entertainment. I've seen headlines that focus on the most lurid aspects of the case or that make wild speculations about what might have happened to her. This kind of coverage can be really distressing for those of us who are close to her, and it can make it hard to maintain hope and stay focused on finding the truth. I also worry about the impact this kind of coverage has on the public's perception of the case. When people see sensational headlines or hear wild theories, they may be more likely to dismiss the case as just another true crime story rather than a real-life tragedy involving a real person. This can make it harder to generate leads and maintain public interest in the search for Valerie. That's a very important point, Susan. As we explore the case in this podcast, our goal is to provide a respectful and thorough examination of the facts and the investigation, while also acknowledging the emotional toll of Valerie's disappearance on her family, friends, and the community. As we wrap up this extended fifth block, let's take a moment to discuss some broader issues surrounding missing person cases, such as the role of social media and the challenges faced by law enforcement. Detective Thompson, how has the rise of social media changed the way missing person cases are handled? Social media has definitely had a major impact on missing person cases. On the positive side, it has made it much easier to disseminate information about a missing person quickly and widely. People can share posts about the missing person with their networks, increasing the chances that someone who has seen or knows something will come forward. On the negative side, social media can also be a breeding ground for misinformation and speculation, which can hinder an investigation. 
There's also the issue of online harassment and armchair detectives who may interfere with an investigation by spreading false information, accusing innocent people, or attempting to conduct their own parallel investigations. Dr. Foster, can you discuss some of the psychological challenges faced by both investigators and the loved ones of missing persons in these types of cases? The uncertainty and lack of closure in missing person cases can be incredibly difficult for both investigators and the loved ones of the missing person. For investigators, it can be frustrating to follow leads that don't pan out or to feel like they're not making progress in the case. This can lead to feelings of helplessness and even guilt, as they may question whether they're doing everything they can to find the missing person. For the loved ones of the missing person, the emotional toll can be immense. They're often left in limbo, not knowing whether their loved one is alive or dead, and they may struggle to find a way to cope with the pain and uncertainty. Feelings of guilt, anger, and despair are common, and they may also experience a range of physical and mental health issues as a result of the stress and anxiety. In the upcoming episodes, we will delve deeper into each aspect of this case, discussing the potential suspects, the forensic evidence, the search efforts, and the theories that have emerged. We will also continue to examine the emotional toll of Valerie's disappearance on her family, friends, and the community of Ashwood. Thank you for joining us on this journey, and please stay tuned for our next episode as we continue to unravel the mystery of the vanishing of Valerie.